Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I am your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand, and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week, we have thought leaders, change instigators, and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive, and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning connection and resilience into your life and your business. This week, as always, we have a super, super amazing guest for you. We have the beautiful Candice Vandell. Candice is a new thought leader, author and speaker. She is certified in spiritual psychology, Reiki, yoga, holistic nutrition, health and wellness. Candice was born with heightened intuition and emotional sensitivity, which makes her able to tune into the subconscious patterns and personal paradigms of her clients. Searching for her place in the world led Candice to a high understanding of herself and the universe. We are not humans having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Today, Candice uses her extraordinary gift of intuition and insight to assist people in their own inner awakening to their inner truth. She offers a new spiritual perspective and teaches her spiritual fitness tools from her workbooks that facilitate empowerment and a consistent connection to the true self. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, good evening or good morning, depending on which side of the world you're on. I have got the beautiful Candice Van Adel. Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm super happy to have you on the show. I'm very excited to get into some of those juicy topics we were talking about. So let's get into it. So we always love to start with asking our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So Candice, tell us what inspired you to do what you do today? Oh, geez. Well, (laughs) I guess the way I would say it is I was a very sensitive kid, very highly sensitive kid. And um, I always had this depth of emotion that I didn't think was being mirrored. And it was very confusing for me growing up. And I did things differently and I thought differently. And, you know, as a child, I think I was extremely misunderstood because of it. Um, I always tell the story how my mother was a school teacher and they labeled me ADHD at age seven because I was doing everything right, but in a different way. And back then different was wrong. So there was something wrong with me, I guess, from a young age is what I thought, even though I knew that that wasn't the truth. And I remember going to a therapist with my family when my family was going through divorce kind of around the same age. And I just remember asking the therapist, is there like a spiritual type of therapist I can talk to? And I think I was nine at that point. And she was like, what are you even talking about, dear? So it was just this kind of lifelong search for something deeper in society that I couldn't find. And I eventually just became it. <laughs> I eventually was like, listen, I 
I really understand highly sensitive people. I really understand things in a different way and I need to share it because I know a lot of people are feeling misunderstood. I know I'm not the only one and I think that's my mission because I can't find it anywhere else. And that's really the short, the short version of the story. Mm, I love it. Isn't it interesting how we get labeled just because we're unique? Oh yeah. Mm. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I actually study astrology and we talk about um, the psychology of astrology and mm-hmm. you can see it in people's charts, you know, for example, ADHD. And if you knew that, uh, that within a chart, it's, it's actually a gift and it's about how do we work with that gift rather than put them on medication. Right. Um, exactly. Which everyone, uh, uh, you know, obviously I'm not saying that there's a wrong or right way. Everyone has their own way to approach whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I'm really passionate about it. Um, with the practice that I have, I would say probably a hundred percent of the people I coach are highly sensitive. Not many of them have been labeled, but everyone has felt like there's something different about me or wrong. And the thing in society is we say, if you're not like everyone else, then you're wrong. There's something wrong. There's a label. And then we have this shame. And I look at attention deficit hyperactive disorder as attention dialed to a higher dimension. And, you know, it's funny. In my 20s, I went back to a therapist to see if I still had it because I was sure I didn't. And he was like, no, you definitely don't. I'm like, of course it wouldn't appear like that because I've learned to work with it and made it my gift, not something negative. But, you know, it's just unfortunate in society how, you know, labels can help people, I think, to understand. But I think it hinders more often by just thinking you're different and separate and wrong. And I don't like that. I agree with that. And when you talk about sensitive, I can really relate to it. I consider myself an empath and Mm -hmm. to the point where it can be quite detrimental to me because I don't know how to shut off picking up on other people's vibes. How do you Mm -hmm. do it? Well, gosh, many years of practice. I've been coaching full-time many, many years now. And I remember when I first started, I would get really sick because I didn't know how to clear and I didn't understand inner and outer boundaries enough. And so what I do now is... I've just gotten really good at knowing myself and my own energy. So when I hold space for other people, I think that's really helped me develop this sense of my own anchor of knowing your emotions versus my emotions. And I have clairsentience so I can feel into people. And when I do that, I'm very clear that it's not mine. And sometimes, you know, especially in an intimate relationship, it can be difficult because you can feel them so much that I will have to take a step back sometimes and say, oh, that's that's not my stuff. Okay, that's not my stuff. So I've just gotten really good at clearing in between sessions and really holding my own space for my own energy to sort of identify it versus someone else's emotion. It's been a really hard path to do that, but I think I'm at the point that I've pretty much mastered it, <laughs> pretty much. That's pretty cool. I'm interested. So you talked about inner and outer boundaries Mm-hmm. So what's the difference with the, between the two and how do we build strong boundaries? Because this is one of those things. It's a big pain point for a lot of us. Oh, gosh. It's such a big subject, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. So for me, outer boundaries are basically space. Like I need space. I need time. You know, it's basically telling people, you know, this is okay for me. This isn't okay for me. You're putting too much on me. You're not. See, a lot of people know what feels right and wrong, but they're afraid to say it because they're afraid of confrontation. That's one thing you can't be afraid of. If you want healthy boundaries, you can't be afraid of confrontation. You can't be afraid of not pleasing people. You can't be afraid of people not liking what you need, right? We usually reject our own needs because we're afraid other people will get hurt or not like it. And we think we need others more than we actually need our own boundaries, which is 
false. So the inner boundary is really feeling that inner guidance, feeling that anxiety or feeling when you're around someone toxic or feeling when you're feeling enmeshed or abandoned and really understanding what those feelings are so that you can either move out of a relationship, move out of a space, move out of a job or speak up on behalf of that feeling. And I call that aligned action. If we can feel something and be really clear on what we're feeling and then act in alignment with that, that's a really strong inner boundary that in my opinion, is mandatory for healthy relationships and for a healthy self. I'm just curious though, in how do you, because you talked about clearing. So I get the, that was great. So the outer, the outer boundaries is the space, the time, it's external. And then the inner is the internal. How do you differentiate yourself? Because you talked about clearing and space between what is yours and what is not yours. Because you said, oh, you can actually pick up that this stuff is not mine because I know for me sometimes I get a little bit confused as to is this mine or is this theirs well to be honest I think um the main reason I'm pretty good at that is because I know my stuff so well (laughs) at this point in and out in and out all around I know my stuff so I know my specific triggers we have to know what our triggers are I know if I start to feel anxiety, it's been triggered because of X, Y, Z. I know if I start to feel repressed, it's because this is what's happening. If I feel something that's not familiar to me, or I feel it's stronger in a way that doesn't feel familiar, it's always that familiarity, I'll know that it's not mine or it's not for me. And a lot of that can be just given back by the awareness of, you know what, this isn't mine. And if you're not sure, something I like to do is say, you know what, I don't think this is mine. I'm going to give it back. And if my stomach starts to open up, you know how we clench our stomach when we have emotions that are not so fun. If my stomach and my body feel non-resistant and free, when I say I'm giving it back to someone, I know that I was right about that. If there's something still lingering inside of me, I double check and I say, is there something I'm denying or not looking at that I maybe need to look deeper into? And usually the answer pops up. Yeah, you're feeling stressed or yeah, this person has weird energy or something like this. So if we give it back and we can feel non-resistance in our body, it wasn't ours. How do you give it back? I've got this picture of like, here, this is not my stuff. This is yours here. You can take it all back. How do you actually give it back? You know, it's very energetic. What I do is I call it with my clients. I say, blow it back. Just do that literally to get it out of your body. But if you can't do that because you're in public or it seems strange to you, I literally will take that feeling and energetically watch it go back to the person it belongs to. Just taking it out of my body as if it's a layer of clothes. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. That's cool. Because I I remember a long time ago, there was a a course cutting the ties that bind, and which is a very similar thing. So it's basically we have these etheric cords um, when we make an emotional connection with someone. Mm-hmm. And then it just depends on what kind of connection or relationship you have with this individual. And mm-hmm. it's, it's really, um, I remember the teacher at the time was talking about it's really important to cut the ties on a regular basis. It's like starting a new connection, starting a new relationship. Yes. Have you heard of the, the, these kind of emotional connections? I have. Many, many years ago, I was with a spiritual teacher and I had to cut a cord from an ex-boyfriend and it took a really long time of consistently cutting that cord because we were together so long and it was such an intense relationship. But it is definitely a real thing. I'm absolutely aware of it and I definitely agree that it's a real thing and we need to do it. I relate to to exactly what you're saying. I remember I had to, I struggled cutting my cord and he said, just visualize a chainsaw. And I was like, what? 
And <laughs> so I got this chain. I just remember seeing this chainsaw and just and the cut the the cord just cut really easily. And you just see it um, that person uh, drifting away. Of course, you send them with love, uh, not yeah. uh, hate or anything like that. Yeah. And, you know, people have a really hard time. I think a lot of the reason we aren't able to cut the cord so clean is because there is this subconscious desire to not be without that person often. And we don't even know it. We're either afraid to be alone or afraid that cutting the cord and letting go means we can't love them still. And so we kind of cut off from our own heart. And people are so afraid of basically being without that feeling, but we have to realize that that feeling of love that we had for someone else is in us. And it's okay. It's okay to have that, but you don't want the cord because then that's attachment. And we can have connection without attachment. That's healthy. If we're having attachment with someone that's no longer in alignment, that's bringing us down too. And so that's why it's really important to do that work. You talked about connection and attachment which I I would love to unpack but I agree with you I think that you can still let go of someone with love and not be with them there's a big difference so and I think that's really important it's also how you let go cut that cord um you know I I just look at it in this way it's 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 whatever you put out you're actually attracting back to so if you put it out with uh, jealousy anger or all any of those lower vibrations in emotions, you're actually calling it back to you in that same instance. Um, I'd love to, what's the difference between connection and attachment? You know, I think there are definitely healthy attachments, but I guess I'm speaking more on attachment trauma or injury when it's an uncertain sort of connection. I feel people who are not super healthy can oftentimes have what I would call a toxic attachment where it feels more like a need rather than a desire to share. And I think connection is more like, Oh, it's a healthy connection. We're connected. Connection feels good. It's one of our basic needs really. And we need to feel connected to people. But when we feel attached, there's almost this, I feel negative entity towards it where it's almost like you need something from someone in order to survive. It almost feels like that sometimes, or I need to be attached so that I can have an identity or I need to be attached. So I feel safe and secure. I think real safety and security in relationship comes from a mutual connection, not really being attached. That's just my take on it because there are so many different attachment styles, but I like to say that to highly sensitive clients who are in narcissistic relationships. They'll say, look, you're really attached. You need to be connected. And we can't really be healthfully connected unless we're really connected to self and have a healthy attachment style to self and identity. So it gets a little confusing. Oh, no, just- I, I love the way that you explained it. I got a picture that attachment is externally driven. So it's external thing. Mm-hmm. I need you. I want you. I can't live without you. Whereas connection is an internal, like a knowing Yeah, I am connected with you. Yes. I love how you said that because most of this work, in my opinion, is about trading in the external needs for the internal reality and really understanding that, yes, external things are really important for our self-expression, for all the things that we want to do in the world, but it really has to come from an internal drive, an internal connection to self so that we don't unhealthily attach externally. That's a tricky one, though, when you think about it. I think that for all of us, there is this uh, always a calling to go within 
But mm-hmm. how does one do that when we are, we're constantly, you know, we're looking external for validation, external for uh, approval, external for connection in some way, shape or form. What's your trick? How do you do it, Candice? I'll tell you, I was riddled with self-doubt so much of my life um, due to the type of childhood I had and just being in the modeling industry and acting industry for so long. And what I learned to do was self-validate because I got really clear. I always say to people, you got to get real about how you feel so you can heal. When you get really real with yourself and you get totally okay with what you would consider flaws, what you would consider gifts, what you would consider anything, we can get to that point of self-validating where, you know, I have a client last week. She said to me, you know, Candace, I really want to be like you and I want to be on YouTube and I want to do a blog, but I don't want to attach my face to it. (laughs) And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, I'm just so afraid of opinions. How do you get over opinions? I go, this is what you need to do. Get really clear on everything anyone could say about you and then say, okay, I love myself anyway. And when we can love ourselves no matter what, which is a really hard thing to do, I've done so much daily work on this, but if I can love myself no matter what, and I know myself really well, then if someone says something to me that I don't like, but I know it's not true, it's not going to sway me. If someone says something to me that I don't like that I know is true, it's not going to sway me. So it's just that deep self-awareness that we can come into and have an unconditional relationship with ourselves. Self-validation. I I could relate to that one. It took me a long, long time to, and I'm only just starting to do videos, purely the same thing, but not not so much about uh, putting my face on it. I think it was more so the fear of what people would think about me or the fear of what they would say about me. But then I had to get me out of the way because it wasn't about (laughs) me. It was about other people. It was me. How do I help other people? And it was just another platform. I'm really curious. How do you get, go, go from self-doubt to self-validation? What what are some, uh, for our listeners and for myself as well, what would be some of those things that we could do? Um, So for me, it was, I mean, to be honest, I was in the modeling industry for 20 years and I got really used to rejection and learning that it wasn't personal. And that was the first sort of, I would say, soul school for me to be able to do this career. But then to really validate my own self, it was getting really, like you said, getting out of the way. I realized that what made me really happy was serving the world in a way that um, healed me. And all I did was share what worked for me. It was this, this, I guess what I'd say is it connecting with integrity. When I realized that I was actually just walking the talk, I was actually just talking about the things I had been through. And I was talking about the ways that I'd healed myself. And I was talking about things that I knew worked. I, I wasn't worried about doubt. I wasn't worried about, there was no doubt because I was very sure I had, you know, um, I was complete. I knew that what I had gone through really worked. So there was nothing to doubt because it was real and it was helping me. And it started helping a lot of others. And I think that the doubt started shifting when I had discernment and I was just certain of what was going on. When I really sort of anchored in the wisdom of my own experiences and I tested everything out, there was nothing to doubt. Now, do I think it'll work for everyone? No, it doesn't need to, but I know that it works with people that need it. And so there's nothing to question, really. So you didn't do the work of where 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 does this self doubt come from? Why am I second guessing myself? What you were doing it was just looking you were 
walking towards your future, right? Working towards yeah. self-validation rather than uh, working through self-doubt. Is that correct? Well, that yeah, that's that was the second half. I guess what I should start with is the first half was really, I'm, I'm talking massive amounts of self-doubt as a child, but I knew where it came from. I knew that, you know, I walked through my past to get to the path of my future. And really walking through my past looked like being misunderstood, looked like being labeled, looked like telling me, this is, this is my interpretation, is I'm a kid who has a lot of insight, right? And a lot of sensitivity. And I'm being told that that's what's wrong with me. And then I'm looking at society and I'm thinking, well, maybe there's something wrong with society. Maybe society needs to upgrade. And that's a pretty ballsy thought to have. But I remember just being young and thinking, I don't think there's anything wrong. I just don't think they get it. And if I can get it, then I can explain it. So my doubt turned into, you know, self-discovery turned into self-awareness. And when I started realizing that my doubt came from a place that I didn't agree with, I didn't agree that I deserved to have that doubt. However, that doubt really helped me understand myself and really gave me that certainty. So in a way, I'm really grateful for it. So after I sort of went through my inner child healing, then I got to this place where I was like, yeah, I'm clear on myself. Now I just have to be clear on what I'm teaching. So I have to experience it all. So it was actually both, to be honest with you. So you're saying that the work that you did with doubt was really, how did it serve me? What was the purpose of doubt to identify its existence? Yes, that's exactly I love right. that. Because mm-hmm. I do, I agree that it doesn't matter what it, what what is in our way, um, it serves a purpose. And it's about understanding what is the purpose of my second guessing, my doubting, whatever that may be for, for our listeners. And mm-hmm. once you understand how it serves, you can easily integrate it or work with it. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm, so the other thing that we, before we got on the show, we were talking about emotional healing and mm-hmm. uh, or how does one heal our emotional wounds. So let's talk a little bit about what are emotional wounds and then how do we, or what would be the process to heal our emotional wounds? So in my opinion, I teach this course called Emotional Rehab. And the first week is all about, <clears throat> oh, can you hear me still? There you are. Are you yep. there? Yes. Oh, yes. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, my computer just stalled. So I was saying, I teach this course called Emotional Rehab. And the first week is all about really understanding the true self versus the false self. I believe that an emotional wound is the first time I call it the original wound or a tribal wound because it goes generational most of the times, but it's the first time in our experience that we got the crazy idea that something about us isn't okay. Isn't enough needs to change needs to go in the shadow needs to shift needs to cater to others. It's the time that we just start, start to realize that we might be powerless to opinions. We might be powerless to you know, being who we truly are. And so anytime we feel a negative emotion, it's usually because we have a misunderstanding about something. We're not thinking about it in the way that the universe is thinking about it. We have some kind of an upper limits issue, or we have some self-doubt, or we have some anxiety, or we have some fear thoughts. So emotional wounds are anytime we aren't seeing the truth of who we are. So when you're saying the truth of who we are, who... Who is our true self? In my opinion, the true self is everything that we are is 
perfect for our purpose. We might have, like I say, flaws or, you know, I don't like that word, but just to articulate, we might have things about our character that um, may need work. And that's part of the truth of who you are, right? Is, okay, this is my real, this is my reality. This is who I am. I own who I am, but understanding that we are also divine. So we're basically divine beings having a human experience. The human side of us is going to be emotional and, and have difficulty because we haven't, our mind isn't lined up with the higher knowing. And I think most of this wound healing is to lift up into a higher place and see things from more of observer sort of perspective rather than letting our emotion be our identity. We have to understand that our emotion is energy. Our emotion just needs to be released. It's not who we are. A lot of people attach their identity because they have uncertain identity to what they feel. And that's not good because we can feel different all the time. And then people walk around saying, who the heck am I? So I say our true self is the person watching everything that's going on. It's the one that's above it all, but we can't really reach it a lot of the time. <clears throat> so then the false self, you're talking about false self. If this false self, uh, you talked about tribal and uh, from generation, is that what the false self is? I believe the false self. So generational wounds, in my opinion, is say, say you have a codependent mother and she had a codependent mother and she had, so it's like a codependent pattern, right? So we're here to end that pattern. That would be what I would consider a tribal wound. With the false self, what I believe the false self is and what I've seen is it's the part of us that we make up for what we think is wrong. For instance, if we're a child and one of our parents or society says, um, you're never going to amount to anything because of this. What people will do is create a false self to be able to make it in society because they think their true self isn't enough. They think they're flawed. So they create a false self. However, I've also seen the flip side where the false self can actually just be the shame. It can be the part of you that thinks you're not, <clears throat> excuse me, you're not good enough. It could be the part of you that acts out. That's not your true self. That's your false self trying to get a need met. So it's almost like a persona. Yes. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And then, then the shadow. So do we, how does the shadow play out? So you're talking about, we've got our true self, which is our divine self. And then the false self, which is the stuff that we make up. Then obviously mm -hmm. we've got the generation and tribal stuff uh, that also gets passed on. And then you mm -hmm. talked about shadow. How does that work? So the shadow is really my favorite part right now. I'm developing this class called shadow work. And it's really funny how I literally have to go through my own shadow work to do this class. And it's been really intense. And what I've noticed is, you know, we project parts of our shadow onto other people because we're not, we're not willing to own it. So an example, what I've seen a lot is if you, let's say you were powerless as a child, you got your power taken from you in whatever way. If you were happy, you got in trouble. This happens a lot. And so if you feel powerless as a kid, what you'll do is you'll project your power onto your partner. So you'll want someone that's really powerful because that makes you feel whole. That's the part of you that's in the shadow. But what ultimately starts happening in that scenario is as you get healed, as you're healing yourself and you're taking your power back and you're feeling your empowerment, you start to not see that person so powerful anymore and it isn't working for you. And the dynamic starts changing as you start integrating. So it's really important to look at what we project onto people. Do we project jealousy? Do we project they're better than me? Do we project they're worse than me? Those are all parts of ourselves that we're not owning. So if you really want to get to know yourself, look at how you're seeing everybody else. I love that. I've been doing a lot of shadow work too in the last 18 months. And especially with this whole pandemic, I think a lot of us, you know, when we talk about 
the increase of light coming onto the earth if you have a look at Schumann's resonance. And I think the more light, the more shadow is bubbling up for a lot of us. So um, I can really resonate with that, absolutely. And it takes a lot of courage, I think, and accountability to say, hey, I'm projecting that onto you. Because it yeah. really does take that, uh, I guess, the, the patience, uh, and mm-hmm. also, I think for me, when I've realized a lot of the stuff that I was projecting onto, um, you know, certain parts of my life, that there was a level of I had to also forgive myself and not be so hard on myself. Absolutely. What are your thoughts? I couldn't agree more. I also just want to add in that, you know, shadow work is really difficult, as you know, but it's also super freeing because when you start to own the parts of yourself, it almost feels like, holy cow, that's what's been missing. It's almost like you're eating something super satisfying and you had no idea it would taste like that. You have no idea what it's really going to feel like because it looks so scary. We're all so afraid that we're going to be proven to be not enough, right? We're also afraid to own our power. So like, what if I own my power and I'm still not enough? So I'll just hold it back. You know, I was telling a story the other day in my monthly membership group about being tethered to people, you know, people who are sort of codependent and who have that power in their shadow, they will subconsciously tether themselves to someone that really won't allow them to be in their full power because that's what they're really afraid of. And then when they start to heal, they realize, "Uh uh-oh, the person I tethered myself to is really the only reason I can't step in my power. And so then that shifts as well. And so as we start to do this shadow work, we start to realize that these subconscious patterns we've had to keep ourselves safe from ourselves need to melt away. And it's scary to look at those things and to look at the coping mechanisms and to look at what needs to shift. But as we do that integration, there is no negative. People think, "Uh oh, what if I do this work and then I'm alone? Or what if I do this work and then I'm different than everyone? I'm like, it's funny because the more aware and awakened you become, the more you realize everyone's the same, the more more you realize we're actually all totally equal and wonderful and just different and unique. And there's nothing to be afraid of other than that false thought of separation because part of you is separate and in the shadow. I agree. And you know, it is, it is very freeing. It's one of those things that I remember when I've had lots of epiphanies and insights over the last 18 months. And Uh definitely I've had physical shifts to the point where I actually look a little bit different because I've let go of so much stuff that I've been carrying and realize I've been carrying it my whole entire life Um, and that that was a massive um, uh, insight for me but it is I I guess people shun away from it because a there's you can't blame anyone it sits with you so there's that's the big accountability piece it's like it actually sits with you it doesn't matter you know whatever you complain about whoever you put your finger at whatever that may be it's Mm -hmm. all within you and if it's it's empowering because once you uncover what that is it is you see everybody as as one, as light, that we are all equal. Um, but it's it's actually the the doing the deep work that I feel that people shun away from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of the accountability piece. So what would be for our listeners some steps that they could, because it is it, when you're talking about emotional freedom, that's what the shadow work is all about, right? You're releasing uh, yeah. the, you know, I call it baggage, but we all have baggage. But you're releasing stuff, right? So what would be some steps for our listeners to start doing the the deep work? The first thing I say always is getting real about how you feel. Emotional honesty is the key to clarity. 
a lot of people ask me, how do you know this stuff? How do you figure all this out? I'm like, because I've gotten so real with myself that there is nothing missing. Like we really have to dig deep. And you just said it. You said, you know, that accountability piece is what people are afraid of. But what's interesting is people are afraid to take accountability because they've been blamed for things that aren't their fault. We've been shamed, you know, as a society in general. And what we have to understand is what is shame? Shame says there's something wrong with me. So we're afraid to do anything wrong. So we don't want to be accountable for things. But if we actually become responsible for our own emotional experience, we don't have to blame ourselves for what we feel, but we do have to take responsibility to heal it. And so the first step is getting super honest with yourself without judgment. We have to learn not to judge what we feel. Everyone is judging what they feel. Oh, I feel this. I shouldn't feel that. I should be here by now. I should be over this by now. No, you are here. This is where you are and it's perfect. So if it's perfect, because everything is perfection in the process, then what is it here telling you? Give it a voice. So give the feelings a voice. Don't judge them. Look at them as teachers. It's teaching you where you're off in your perception of something or on in your perception of something or afraid of something. So that's always my number one step is getting real about how you feel. Then when we can start to get real about how we feel, we can start to master those emotions. And really what that means is I'm not my emotion, but I have an emotional pain body. Okay, now I have compassion for that pain body because dang, it went through a lot. That, that compassionate self-forgiveness, that compassionate understanding of our own feelings are step one and step two, really. Step three is understanding the inner child work to integrate, to really have a relationship with the one inside who's hurting. And so often people tell me, you know what, Candace, I've been in therapy for 20 years, but like now this is working. Why is this working? And I say it's working because we don't heal in our head. We heal in our body. So we really need to do that inner child work, feeling it, talking to it, acknowledging it, being there consistently every day to build up that self-trust. When we have self-trust, we don't worry about not being accountable because it's not a threat any longer. I love that. And I'm big on the inner child. I have a little photo. I know all our listeners are probably sick of me saying that, but I have a little photo of myself uh, that when I hear that inner critic or I'm being doubtful or second guessing myself whatever that may be um I look at that little photo and say Catherine would you ever speak that way to this little girl and the answer is always no Mm -hmm. I do that a lot with people and it's it's interesting isn't it when we really think about how we're talking to ourselves or to anyone and then we put that innocent beautiful pure self (laughs) in front of you and you're like what am I doing Mm -hmm. holy cow it's shocking so true. So mm. I, I love I love that about getting real about how you feel, and I think that it's 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 um to do that. I mean, for me, I do a lot of journaling. That's how I get through a lot of my stuff. Mm-hmm. What are some of your tips around? You know, how do we really get in touch with our feelings and and, and be able to like verbalize them out loud? I'll tell you, I have thousands and thousands and thousands of journals. I've journaled every single day since I was a really small child. I think since I was probably seven when I got diagnosed with ADHD and I didn't really understand my feelings. And I was like, why is this happening? It has really changed my brain, my life, everything. It makes you very analytical in a really healthy way because when you get it out, you can really see what's in there. But also what I like to do is I tell people to say it out loud Talk things out loud that are bothering you or that you're going through. Because when you give it power and you say it out loud, you know, I had this client last week. She was, Candace, I was trying to heal this emotion and I kept like talking in circles in my head and it kind of went back to each other. I couldn't get out of it. And I said, well, did you say it out loud? 
She goes, no, I said, say it out loud right now. So she started telling me it out loud. She goes, whoa, that sounds really different outside of me. (laughs) And so she was able to have a new insight. So I do that. I do the journaling. I talk out loud and I also do tapping. I'm huge with emotional freedom technique because it gives you that physical release that we need because our emotions can be so overwhelming. And if we can tap it out and physically release it, it feels like an instant healing. It really does. I do. I did many, many years ago. I can't remember the gentleman that came to Australia. Um, we did, my sister and I, we did EFT and it was amazing because I remember at the time we do- talked about phobias and at the time I was really scared of flying and mm-hmm. um, I've still got the book actually. There's obviously, um, but I haven't done it for such a long time, but there's obviously depending on what you're working on, whether it, what kind of fear or, or, or emotion you're working with, there's different meridians that you tap into. And um, I remember doing that and I, I, the, the fear had dropped dramatically. And then I found myself one day at the airport and I was like, now, Catherine, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do it in the, the airport because I was afraid of people thinking, what the hell is this woman doing? <laughs> so I ran to the toilet and I was like tapping it on top of my eyebrows, my face and, and the places that I had to tap. But um, yeah, it's very powerful for our listeners that have not experienced it. I highly recommend to check it out. I know, Candice, you do a lot of it too, don't you? Oh, yeah. I do it a lot. And, you know, sometimes I forget to do it myself. I do it for other people in the session, but it works for me too. So I probably tap at least a couple of times a week just to clear and just to center. I love that. You do a lot of clearing. Mm-hmm. All day long. You know, I have sessions from morning till night. So before and after every session I clear and then before I start sort of My next half of the day when I'm done, I have to do a whole clearing. I have a million candles. I have all the Palo Santo and the sage. It's mandatory for this kind of energy work for sure. I love uh, Palo Santo. And so do you, what do you do? Do you, do you invoke light? Do you, how do you actually clear? And I know you talked about fire. So you obviously use the element of fire, candles, Palo Santo, sage. What else Mm -hmm. do you do? So what I do is, (laughs) it's funny because I don't even realize that everyone doesn't do this. It's just something I've done for so long, but I will call in mother, father, God. I will call in archangels. I will call in, some people might think this is weird, but it's just what I do. I call in higher powers. I call in spirit guidance. I call in all the things that can protect me that I can't see, but I can feel. And it's interesting. I do that before I do that after. And then I clear everything up to the highest, you know, that it could be from the nothing wish from which it came. I learned a lot of this stuff in spiritual psychology school. I created some of it on my own that really just worked for me that I felt was coming through me. But what I do, what I notice, especially when I clear in groups, if I'm doing like a group class, I notice I can tune into other people's angels, other people's, um, I would say support systems outside of them. It gets really intense. Um, so I, I know it's real and because I know it's real, it becomes more real if that makes sense. And it just becomes this, it feels very much like I'm being held in my sessions and guided because I bring them in. And I know, you know, in the spiritual world, if you don't ask these energies to come forward, they don't, but if you do, they're there and you can feel it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's I'm always intrigued on how everyone does it in such a different light. And um, some invoke angels or ascended masters or or they work with one particular angel, archangel or one particular ascended masters. But um, yeah, I'm always curious about how one does it. 
Candice, I'm really curious, throughout your journey, what has been your greatest lesson learned thus far? Oof, what a great question. <laughs> um, let me think on that a second. My greatest lessons so far. There's just so many, to be honest. But I think the thing that is really hitting home for me today is living in integrity. I feel that if I'm honest about my values and my morals and my my inner code, my inner guidance, I call it my wise guide inside. If I listen to her every day and I live in alignment with it, there's synchronicity and there's gifts and there's almost miracles can happen. And so for me, I think the biggest lesson is knowing myself well enough to live in alignment with the truth of who I am to my best ability. So how do you do that? That's amazing, by the way. But how do you do do that? How do you stay in alignment to the best of your ability? Is that because when you're saying that, I'm feeling like there's a level of having to be really mindful, really present within the whole time, which I think that takes a lot of practice. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think for me, I am incredibly emotionally and spiritually sort of um, wired. <laughs> so I can't not feel something. I, I mean, I just feel it's immediate. I know what it is. I know what's going on. And so what I find the best way to be, to really know yourself is just to live authentically, meaning I kind of live with my flaws out loud. I kind of, you know, I swear on my YouTube channel. I'm not anything other than what I am. And so if you're just always being who you are, then you'll always just be yourself. And if you're always being yourself, then you're in alignment with your integrity. If you're not being yourself, like the false self, you're out of alignment. So I think my best resource to stay in alignment with myself is just being real. Again, just being real, not apologizing for it, not needing it to be any different, just accepting the fact that this is who I am, this is how I show up, and and this is it. Mm, I love that. You you obviously, because you talk about sensitivity, you obviously use your body, you drop into your body as your barometer because I think a lot of the times we spend um, as a society or as a you know collective, we spend a lot of time in our mind, whereas mm-hmm. you really drop into your heart and your body quite a lot, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, for many years I had a lot of fears and a lot of anxiety and that started really shifting when I went into my body instead of my mind. See, we leave our body and we go into our head because we're afraid of what we feel. But when you start to get real about how you feel, you start to get really comfortable with your emotions because you don't have to judge them like everyone else did. You don't have to misunderstand them like everyone else did. You can be your own parent, right? Reparenting. When we do that, we have a good relationship with our own emotional world. We can stay in our body because it's not scary. That's why we leave our body. We like to numb it out. We like to run it out. We like to shop it out. We like to whatever it out. I like to be in. I like to feel my power. I like to feel my energy. I like to feel my emotion. I don't run from it because if I run from it, then I got trouble. (laughs) So I like to be in it. And that's in your body. That's where your power is. I love that. And I always say that never make a decision from the mind. Drop into your heart, even a conversation. You know, I think that just the other day I was having a conversation with one of my team members about, uh, you know, having one of those courageous conversations. And when you drop into your heart, because uh, she was saying, I don't know how to have the conversation. And it's like, where's the conversation? She said, in my head. And I said, drop it into your heart. And now how would you approach the conversation? And you can feel it. It is very different. 
I love how you explain that because, you know, a lot of people ask me, what kind of friends do you have? Who's around you? I go, I don't have a single friendship that isn't totally heart centered. And that's why, because when you think about it, if you're just being present, you're just saying what you feel, you don't have to think about anything. That's how this conversation flows. That's how any of my sessions flow. It's just like, hey, let's talk about what's up right now. Let's talk about how we feel right now. But see, that's the other thing is you forget when you're in this work so long, how many people are afraid to just be what they feel. <laughs> They're afraid to just sit in that. So they have to go into their head and think about it and overthink it. That doesn't flow. That's not natural. People can tell. It doesn't feel good. It, it causes confusion. It's really easy just to sit somewhere in your body, look at another person and notice what you see. Notice what comes up. That is the most authentic conversation you can have. I know it, it does take practice because I'll share this. I know for me, there was, uh, I did some, a lot of the work and I, I can't remember the book. It could be the emotional code where it talks about working. We, we, we build walls around our heart. And so dropping into our heart can be hard or scary or whatever that may be because we've distanced ourselves from it uh, over the years, depending on what kind of, you know, upbringing you've had. Yeah. Um, how do you do that? Like, how do you, because I'm sure you, you work with, you know, God knows how many people on a, on a regular basis. I'm sure mm-hmm. you see this often where people are not comfortable about dropping into their heart. And because there's either resistance or there's walls, how do you work through that? For me, what I've been told, and I guess what I've gotten to understand is that I kind of show up as a mirror to somebody's truth. What that means is I think because I've done so much of my own work and I'm sure you're the same, I've done so much of my own inner work, I can hold a very neutral and accurate space for someone. So usually in the first 15 minutes, people are either crying, laughing, um, something because they feel seen, understood and gotten. And so what I notice with people who are resistant to it is it doesn't work. It doesn't actually work to resist um, a mirror of your heart. And so I think that's why people keep coming back because people are afraid to feel, but then when they do, it feels really good. Like this is what they've been missing for so long and they don't realize it's themselves that they've been looking for. It's themselves they've been missing. It's that reflection of beauty and purity and innocence rather than shame and negativity and not being seen. So again, When I come up against somebody who doesn't want to do the work, they won't be back because it's impossible not to when you're in that type of an environment. Mm, So true. I love that. And I love the way that you talk about the mirror because it is, you're actually, because you're, you're actually in the moment, you're in your heart. And I look at when you talked about, I was thinking about mirror neurons. We do, um, when we're talking about what we project into our environment and into others around us, you're projecting love. Right. And then it's up to that individual to accept it or resist it. I love that. Mm. That's exactly right. I think that's why this work brings me so much joy because it is, it's like you're in your heart all day long. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. So Candice, as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you, my dearest? Hmm authentic love it and the last question we always love to wrap up the show with uh three shiny golden nuggets so what would be those three shiny golden nuggets they could be three practical exercises that you would like to leave for our audience today Ooh, practical exercises well obviously my first one would be get real about how you feel so you can heal so 
really getting that emotional awareness. Um, I think another thing that I really like to do is I like to put my hand on my heart when I'm going through something difficult or feeling uncertain or feeling scared and just let myself know that I'm held and I'm okay and this will pass and I'm safe. Um, number two, number three, I would say, mm, have a conversation with your inner child every morning just to check in. What that does is it will actually bring more connection to your day. Whether you think you know how to acknowledge the inner child or not, it will bring you a sense of connection. And that's what I think we need to be happy. I love that. I love that last one. I agree. Connecting with your inner child is so, so important. Mm -hmm. So Candice, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Um, there's three places. My website, which is CandiceVandell.com, my YouTube channel, which is also just my name, and I'm on Instagram quite often. So those are probably the top three places that you can interact with me or ask me questions or just find out anything that I'm doing on the daily. Mm, thank you. We'll have those in the show notes. Candice, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your wealth of wisdom, your time and energy. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes. Or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit that subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katrinplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Catherine Plano. Until next week, please take care of yourself. Much love and gratitude. Thank you.